Welcome to another edition of the Green Beers Podcast. As always, that is AJ. He is the Green. I am Ken. I am the Beige. And we are back. Two weeks off, but we are back with you this week. How is it going, AJ? It's all good. All good on this side. Uh, you know, you usually have weather complaints, but it's been manageable recently, so <laughs> kind of what you would call southern spring weather, I guess, so. It's been good. Otherwise, everything is good. What about yourself? Um, not too bad. Um, we have had some pretty decent weather here for the last few weeks. Mm. So no complaints there. Today, we got up to 80 degrees Fahrenheit. So, I mean, that is almost summer-like. <laughs> That's a cooler day yeah. coming, but, you know, it is spring. So True, true. We enjoy it while we can. Now, one of the things that I did manage to do during the um, couple of weeks that we've been off is that I went to my first NBA game. Mm. I went to Ball Arena to see nice. the Denver Nuggets take on the Memphis Grizzlies. And that was the game where um, Nikola Jokic was the first ever player to score 2,000 points. Right, right. 1,000 rebounds and 500 assists. I think that's what it was. So you reached that milestone, yeah. Yeah. So that was that was fantastic. It was a very it was a great experience. Right now, um, considering if I'd want to try to get tickets for this game on Sunday, because Sunday is when the Nuggets come home playing game four against the Warriors. Right. But I don't know how it would feel going to that game knowing that I'm going to be rooting for the away team. So it's a little bit, you know, it's, it's <laughs> me thinking a little bit. <sighs> but yeah, I get I get the dilemma. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it's good to be back. And it's been a busy couple of weeks while we've been off with the NBA regular season ending, the mm-hmm. playoffs beginning. Baseball has finally started and we have the United States Football League, which kicked off this weekend. Lots of newness. That's that's the theme of this week's episode, newness. <laughs> so there's lots of newness in the air, like the pollen of spring. Um, for the um, USFL, the United States Football League, there are eight teams in the USFL. There are the Michigan Panthers, the New Jersey Generals, the Philadelphia Stars, Pittsburgh Maulers, and the, they make up the North Division. And then there's the Birmingham Stallions, the Houston Gamblers, the New Orleans Breakers, and Tampa Bay Bandits. That they make up the South. Now, of course, you never know who'll turn up in one of these games. Like mm-hmm. former NFL first-round pick Paxton Lynch, who played for the Michigan Panthers. I'll put up <clears throat> a whopping 1.7 QBR. What does that mean? What? <laughs> he went two for five mm-hmm. for one yard, one interception, two fumbles with one fumble loss. Wait, I'm so lost. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so confused. This actually happened. Yes, this actually happened. And he wasn't, you know, I'm not familiar with the format. So is it like, how are the quarters, like, how long is the game itself? How are the quarters divided? I'm not sure how the quarters are divided, but he didn't okay. play a whole quarter. 
He didn't. Okay, so he was actually the starting quarterback, or he came. Oh, he came okay. in. He came in. Okay. Yeah. And his on his first snap was a fumble. Yeah, here he Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think like a few players later, his next big action was another fumble that he lost. And then where he had a game making a breaking out route rather than throw the ball outside, he threw the ball inside and got picked off. Pick off. Seems legit. Yep. <laughs> Ouch. But the USFL gives many players an opportunity to showcase yeah. and hope for a call-up, you know, to the NFL for the upcoming season. Now, someone in the NFL who might be looking for pastures new is Kyle Murray. And this is where we go off the rip. Now, you know, we mentioned a couple months ago, after the Pro Bowl, Kyle had scrubbed all but one photo of himself and the Arizona Cardinals off his Instagram. Like, when that schoolgirl mm-hmm. finds out her boyfriend's been chatting up her friend behind her back. At the time, Kyle said it was nothing and that he was still committed to the Cardinals. Since then, he's come out and demanded a new contract his agent has made a contract offer to the Cardinals who didn't accept and they have now pulled the contract. Now, we're hearing the question. Will Kyler play on the last year of his rookie deal? What do you think? I think he will. I think he will. Um, I just find it hard to believe that the way things have been playing out so far that the Cardinals would actually be willing to let him go at this point. Um, so I think it will be resolved at least for the short term. I, 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 after one more season, I'll have to reassess this to see where I think it goes beyond that. But for as, as for the 2022 season, I can't see him not being a Cardinal. I, this came, to me, this came out of the, let me not say out of the blue, because I feel like the Cardinals would have known this. And I, I, I really don't think that it took them by surprise. And the fact that we haven't really heard anything from their camp means they were kind of like either expecting it or knew it was happening as I said, we don't know what uh, preparations they made behind the scenes, but it seems like they're equipped enough to handle it. And I, I do believe that he will be a kind of for that final year of the rookie deal. Hmm. Now, for me, it's hard to figure out what's really going on here mm. because there's so much double speak happening from Kyler and his camp. But what we know to be true is that there is a disconnect here between the organization and their star quarterback. Mm-hmm. Kyler felt that he was made to be a scapegoat at the end of their playoff run, and well, mm-hmm. as Ricky Nurse, who has joined us so many times, he always says that he likes to listen to what statements of support are coming out from the organization. And right now, there is a lack of support coming out from the players and the coaches going to bat for Kyler. Honestly, I see it going the other way. I see it's unlikely. I'm not saying that it's definite, but it's unlikely that he plays for them again because something is broken and I don't think that it is just money that fixes it. And, I mean, he's had his best production, well, his only production, because he's only been there the same time that Cliff Kingsbury's been there. And I don't see it, I don't feel that it's him angling to get Cliff out. But, Outside of that, I don't see where else. Like, I can't pinpoint what the problem is outside of him feeling like if he was made to be a scapegoat. 
So I don't, it's not like if there's something that they can easily do and say, well, this fixes the problem. We have to, we, we don't quite know what the problem is to start. Now, on the other side of the coin, there is the Cardinals who have Kutter under contract for one more year and have come out and said that he is not going to be traded. I mean, where have we heard that before? Now, what it is understandable that they will not want to move him, especially with very few teams who may still be unsettled at quarterback and would have the assets to make a trade plausible, is more fun to think of Kutter moving than him staying. So, where does he go if he goes? Well, you would have to start there because you're the one that is positing that he could potentially leave. I didn't, I didn't look at any potential destinations as yet because I'm still convinced that, that that last year is going to be in Arizona. So, you begin while I think about it. Okay, no problem. <laughs> so, of all places, mm -hmm. three, three teams came to mind almost immediately. Now, the first one is the one I believe is most unlikely, which is the Tennessee Titans. We know that the Titans have not been so convinced this last year with Ryan Tannehill as they had been the year prior. Yes, Tannehill has quarterbacked the team to be the number one seed in the AFC two seasons in a row, but they are still looking to see what the market has out there that could potentially give them a leg up. When you look at what they like to do on offense, having a quarterback that is as dynamic as Kyler Murray running the football, coupling him with Derrick Henry in the backfield, then they see the, opp the opportunities as endless. And then if you have a quarterback of Kyler Murray's standard, standing, you may not necessarily then have to pay an A.J. Brown because you don't... Yes, it's good to have a stud receiver, but you can have some good receivers that are less expensive than A.J. Brown's contract would be, especially with the nuclear explosion and mushroom cloud that is the wide receiver market at this point in time. So Tennessee is the first one that comes to mind. The other two are much more likely in my opinion, and those are my Saints and the Carolina Panthers. Now, the New Orleans Saints, they are still searching for a successor for Drew Brees. And while they have given Jemis a two-year deal, the fact that it's only a two-year deal makes me less certain that they see him as a long-term option, but they're actually giving him a legitimate opportunity to try to prove that he's really that guy. And he is coming off an ACL tier, but all reports are that he seems to be just as good as he was before. So we'll, we'll wait and see. Now, the Saints have a good history with short quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. And the dynamism that Kyler provides would definitely help improve our offensive outlook behind our solid O-line. And then we still have the playmakers that are Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. And now that we know that the experiment of Taysom Hill at quarterback is over, I can put him in the offensive weapon category as well. So we have those three dynamic weapons at wide receiver, running back, and I guess wherever you slot Taysom Hill, be it 
um, full bot, half bot, tight end. As long as it's not quarterback, I'm happy. No, they have two top 20 picks in this year's draft. So they could make a very interesting offer to Arizona, including Jameis as a sweetener, where he'd still have an opportunity to make an audition to either the Cardinals or to another team that is looking ahead to 2023 for their next quarterback. Of all the quarterbacks that they could potentially land in any deal right now at this point, Jameis probably is the best one. I mean, if you're being fair. So that's the, the potential move from the Saints perspective. Now for the Panthers, they don't have a clue what they're doing. They literally don't know their head from their foot right now. When you see the interview today, Tuesday, the 19th of April, that Ben McAdoo gave to the media, where he announced that Sam Darnold was going to be their starting quarterback, only to backtrack a few minutes later and say he shouldn't have said that. They've been trying to find Cam Newton's replacement, and they've tried everybody they could, including Cam Newton. They coveted Deshaun Watson for two years, and then he goes to the Browns. So they will continue to swing and risk at every skirt that passes, like the drunk guy in the bar when it's last called. That is the Panthers. So I feel if there's one of them that will be most likely to go for him, it would be the Panthers. But the Saints, the Saints would be in that mix as well. Now you've had a couple moments to think about it. What are your thoughts? I'm trying to, to... All right, so I was also as well... That's a bit redundant. I was also trying to listen um, to your assessment while, while I was doing my search, right? And the first one that, that did come up, and to me, I, I know you're saying that that seems the least feasible, but to me, that's arguably the most feasible, and that is the Titans. Hmm. Um, because first of all, I think... I don't know, I, 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 don't, I could be wrong here, but in terms of like what capital they have to be able to make a trade and the fact that they still do have Ryan Tannehill, um, I, think, I think that what they have, they can package into a trade. And I'm looking at it from the perspective of a team would not necessarily trade in their conference if they are still tr like trying to be, trying to contend essentially. Right? So the Cardinals would have to know that trading Kyler to the Saints or the Panthers, and I, I completely agree with you, like right now, the, the Panthers are purgatory, right? <laughs> they have no idea what's going on at quarterback. I, I don't think any, like, no, I don't think anyone in that organization knows what is really going to happen at this point. Because just a few weeks ago or months ago, whatever it was, they were in for Deshaun, and then that didn't happen. So clearly they are looking to upgrade, right? Um, but I just, I don't know that with the pieces that the Cardinals have put together over the last couple of seasons to be a Super Bowl contending team, I would say, that they would trade Kyler within the, within the conference, the NFC. So I feel it's more likely that he goes over to the AFC, right? It's, this is not like the case of with Houston trading Deshaun to Cleveland because Houston basically blew everything up. They basically blew, blew every single thing up. They, they don't have anyone on their roster that is worth even looking at, not even for fantasy. And that's something I guess you, <laughs> you'll get around to that when that time comes, yep. right? But 
I think is is I think it's just more likely that he goes to. Uh, I heard the arguments for the Saints and whatnot. They're not necessarily bad, but I'm predicating this solely on the fact that I don't see Arizona trading him within the NFC. So I think the Cardinals are a destination. And I'm going to add in one more just for the sake of it, just to, to poke this deep in Tiger, because at some point we have to talk about this again. But speaking of short quarterbacks and upgrading, well, there is Miami. There is Miami. Miami just made a play. <laughs> Miami just made a play to become a better team. Off. They keep building weapons. They keep getting weapons in. By the way, Miami, thanks for Devontae Parker. I'll revive him for you. Um, <laughs> but they just made a play. They're trying to, to go all in to give this team uh, uh, the, the best chance possible to make it to the playoffs and to go as far as they can at least, right? And up to now, they're still unproven on... They're still unproven uh, and, and the jury's still out on um, tour. Now, we know that in terms of like ownership, GM, like they're the ones that believe in tour. Hence the reason why... <laughs> It's the reason why um, Brian Flores is the one who's not there any longer and Tua still is. However, I, I just find it hard to believe that if a situation arises where Kyler Murray is going to be on a market that you do not try to upgrade. Because it is definitely an upgrade. It's definitely an upgrade. I'm, I'm not even saying that it's a major upgrade because Kyler, he, the honesty, he did wet the bed in his playoff appearance, right? Mm-hmm. However, when we're talking about the other side of that being Tua Tango-Vailoa, I think it's a definite upgrade, though. <laughs> you mentioned Kyler's skill set and what he can do. Um, as I said, Miami is building. So I'm just, I'm just trying to throw another name in the pot also because they're in the AFC. So I'll list them as another destination um, because at this point, even with Tua I'm starting under center, Miami... Uh, they're still in the division with, and I'm going to leave my pats out of it. They're in the division with the Buffalo Bills, so they're still not going to be favored. They need something more, and that might be Tua. So I'll throw Miami in there. It's interesting that you pick Miami all the other teams. No, I, I totally get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's just that, as you made mention of ownership and their love affair with Tua Tango which is why they were so comfortable to get rid of a coach that was winning games for them, yeah, I don't see it this season. Tua would have to, like, as we have mentioned before, they've given him pretty much everything that a quarterback could want. He has an upgraded quarterback room. He has an upgraded wide receiver room. He still has two very good tight ends. They've been working on the offensive line. He has everything that he could want. The, not, the one thing he does not have anything more of is room for excuses. So if he flops this season, I can see Miami definitely being in the market for another quarterback next season. Post beyond 2022. Yes. I get you. I just don't I'm, I'm, this season. That's fair. I'm, I still am not going to rule it out. That's just how much, how little I believe in Tua. It, it could be a scathing indictment on, on myself and just how much I'm not willing to, to commit to certain quarterbacks, but I just, you know, at first that even when he was starting to, to get some play, I was, I was like, all right, well, yeah, the coach wants to see what he has and whatnot. I, I just haven't been convinced. And I'm, I'm not sure that, that, that it, it, he has proven anything to anyone 
to say, well, yeah, well, if a better quarterback is available, we'll still stick with you. Okay. But we'll see how that plays out. Definitely. Definitely. Now, from one former Oklahoma Sooner to another, mm-hmm. your boy, Baker Mayfield, he's determined not to go away quietly, it seems. <laughs> Appearing on the You Never Know, You Know What I Mean podcast, Baker wanted to give his side. Among the comments he made, he said he feels disrespected by the Browns and that they told him one thing and then they did another. He didn't hesitate to mention that he's had four different head coaches in four years and multiple coordinators. What seems apparent is that Baker is trying to burn every bridge with the Browns that he feels they burned with him to make sure he's traded from Cleveland. The places that he seems most likely to go, to go at this point are Seattle, who has Drew Locke currently penciled in as a starter, with Geno Smith returning to compete for the job, subject to approval of this contract by the NFL. The prob- problem with his contract has not been stated as yet, but we know that Baker wants out, and the Browns would like to move him, but so far, the Seahawks are not chasing him as per Josina Anderson. And we have wide receiver Robbie Anderson expressing his displeasure at a potential <laughs> So, where does Baker Mayfield go? Um, Baker's scenario is such a precarious one, right? Because in my estimation, this has more to do with the financial side than it does the eye test. Um, Baker is one of our favorite topics. We never tire of speaking of Baker, right? It's, it's been from minute one until <laughs> <laughs> from minute one, and here we are now. Yeah. Right? And and we've we've had our back and forth about Baker. I've come around on certain things with regards to Baker, but well done. As as <laughs> as much as he has shown more so to be inconsistent as opposed to progressive. Uh, see what I did there? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in, in what was arguably his worst season to date, as in the just concluded 2021 season, um, he was playing on a serious injury, and I think that will be considered. And, and he's, still, he's still a baby in this league. I'm saying all of this to say that under normal circumstances, Baker would be given another chance by another team. I think what is giving teams pause is the fact that he will be owed $18 million in 2022. And teams don't want to get stuck with him or with that, right? Um, in, in Seattle's case, <laughs> Seattle seem like they're just blowing everything up. They seem like they're blowing it up right now. So I, I don't know that they, that they go in for Baker right now, given their situation, and then have to pay him that kind of money knowing that next season is almost like a rebuild year. Um, and it, it kind of goes the same for other teams. Like we saw that he was linked to the Panthers and the Panthers have the exact same situation going on with Sam Darnold right now. Because they picked up his fifth-year option. So they have, they have 18 million for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't see them adding Baker to, to, um, um, to their roster to then have these two near $20 million quarterbacks battling it out for the starting spot. 
I think what is most, and, and it doesn't seem like many teams are very desperate to add another quarterback beef right before the draft. Um, it seems like the, the, the one or two teams that actually need at this point are, are angling towards the draft, essentially, to pick up either one of, can you pick it, um, Malik Willis and the other guy that I think is Turner or whatnot is his last name. Um, I, but, but you never know. Approaching a draft is usually when we see a lot more action taking place between teams. But I just, the most likely outcome of, of this for me is that Baker remains a Brown and then has to navigate through free agency in 2023. Um, and then someone will pick him up and pay him less than he wanted this year. Okay. No, for me, this is a, it just is a case we don't have much agreement today at all. <laughs> because unfortunately for Robbie, I believe that Carolina is probably the most likely place mm. that Baker plays this season if he plays at all. They're the current best blend of desperation and ineptitude that having failed at every other attempt, I'm looking at a quarterback market, which is Jimmy Garoppolo, who has a throwing shoulder injury, or Baker, who has a non-throwing shoulder injury, mm -hmm. or running it back with Sam Darnold or Cam Newton or whoever, they would be the ones to make a trade. Now, make no mistake, this is an expensive game of chicken that Cleveland is playing because no matter what they say, this is their best shot to move Baker, and Baker knows this. After the draft, his value will decrease. Mm -hmm. And if, per chance, he ends up starting the season in Cleveland with his expiring contract, it will be impossible to get value back for him. And should he end the season still on Cleveland's roster, then they will have to let him go for free. Yeah. Deshaun's contract this year is $1 million. But that huge contract that they gave him, that starts to pay next year. Mm -hmm. And the franchise tag for quarterback in the 2022 season is $29.7 million. And with the expectation that the salary cap is going to rise, that cap number is also going to rise for the franchise tag. They're not going to franchise tag Baker just to ride the pine. They could try to hold out, but honestly, this is a situation in which I see only losers. Baker can't win if he doesn't play. And if he just collects that $18 million just sitting on the bench, Cleveland can't win. Don't care how you slice it. So nobody wins in this situation. I mean, I, I, I get that. And I get what you're saying there. I, I just think that it, is, it, it, it will be hard for them to move him. I, I, I don't think he'll be through lack of effort but more so through lack of interest um, on the part of other teams. Because, yeah, the, the last couple, the last few um, seasons, last, last few drafts, you've seen teams been start, teams um, stocking up on quarterbacks and whatnot. So there are not many, very many options mm -hmm. available 
again, I mean, we, we just discussed some teams that could still use quarterbacks. Do they go in for Baker? I, it, you never know. It, it still is very possible, but I just feel like the Browns are going to have a hard time and they might just have to cut their losses with him at the end. I feel so too, but we'll see how that one plays out. Mm-hmm. For sure, Baker and the Browns will, will be back on this show. <laughs> Most definitely. Now, in the spirit of newness, we're now going to look at the brand new NBA playoffs for 2022. I don't know how many games you've seen, AJ, but it has been exciting. Most of the games. We've had a few blowouts, but most of the games have been yeah. good watches. They've been good watches. Now, the playoff field is set with the Eastern Conference number one seed Miami Heat playing the number eight seeded Atlanta Hawks, who deleted, defeated the Charlotte Hornets <laughs> in the 9-10 game and then beat the Cavaliers in the eighth place playoff. The second seeded Boston Celtics are currently going up against the seventh seeded Brooklyn Nets, who beat the Cavaliers in the 7-8 playing game. Now, the third-seeded Milwaukee Bucks are up against the sixth-seeded Chicago Bulls and the fourth-seed 76ers, for the left of the 76ers, are playing the fifth-seeded Toronto Raptors. Over in the West, the one-seed Phoenix Suns are playing the eight-seed New Orleans Pelicans, who had to overcome the San Antonio Spurs and the LA Clippers in the play. And the Patrick Beverly guaranteed seventh seed Minnesota Timberwolves are up against the two seed Memphis Grizzlies. The Golden State Warriors, they sit in the third seed and they're up against the Denver Nuggets, who are the sixth. And finishing the bracket, we have the fourth seeded Dallas Mavericks playing the fifth seeded Utah Jazz. So far, all series have had at least one game with one love leads for the Suns, T-Wolves, Bucks, and Celtics. The Heat are up one love on the Hawks and are currently playing them at the time of this recording. And the Suns and the Pelicans and the Grizzlies and T-Wolves all played their second games tonight as well. Grizzlies and T-Wolves also in progress. Suns and Pelicans will start after we are done. Um, Dallas and Utah are tied at one and the Warriors are up to love on the Nuggets. So, now looking back at what we've seen so far, who's had the best win? Before I get into that, I must say, because I don't think we've discussed it. I'm not a fan of the playing tournament, you know. Really? I'm not. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you why, right? Go ahead. It is it's not for the... It's not because of the entertainment factor. There definitely is that. And it, I guess it gives more teams a chance. But the thing is, I look at it like this, right? Mm-hmm. 30 teams in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Under the previous format, you already had more than half of the league already making the playoffs. Yeah. Now you're adding two more teams who weren't good enough to finish up in that top eight and potentially giving them the chance. So essentially, two-thirds of the league mm-hmm. is getting a chance to be in the playoffs. Yes. I, no, no, I get... In like adding adding that extra game is 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 again a little more revenue. Obviously, there's the entertainment factor for us fans. But it's kind of like how you feel about about the, the NFL rule change. I feel like so the players already have to play the 82 game regular season, mind you. There's a lot more load management happening nowadays. So 
hardly any of them are actually playing 82 games unless it's um and is is it Beasley who's a cat? I can't remember which name it was. Five players actually. It was five. All 82 games. All 82. Right there we go. <laughs> five of the hundreds. Five, exactly. But but I, I I don't know. It it feels it feels like the playoffs have just become a bit too convoluted for my liking now. Though. If if you didn't have a record good enough to finish in the top eight, you shouldn't be there. That's just the way I see it. Um, Interesting. Yeah, but that's another discussion. I just wanted to get that in because I don't think that you and I have ever discussed that. No, but I mean, I think we have time. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about that. For sure. No, I actually like the playing tournament. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are not agreeing on anything today, apparently. <laughs> but I like, that's all right. That's fine. Yeah, I like the playing tournament from the perspective that because the NBA season has so many games, they have to find a way to try to make their regular season actually matter. It's different with the NFL because the NFL is now 17 games. So Mm -hmm. too much can happen if you lose a game, especially if you Mm -hmm. lose a game early or you lose a game in the middle of the season where everyone is jockeying for position. Mm-hmm. However, when you, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's not as bad as baseball because baseball is 106. Who sits down to watch 162 games? That, that baffles me. But anyway. Not even the most avid baseball fans do that. Here you go. I digress. So we got 82 games in the, NF, in the NBA season, right? So load management, as you said, always comes into play because nobody wants, no star player wants to have to run in two games, and then have to look for 16 wins in the playoffs. So doing this, getting giving other teams an opportunity to make it, it brings a little more legitimacy to the NBA season. I can understand where you're coming from because really and truly, two-thirds of your league should not be making the playoffs. But Giving them the opportunity, it helps to create interest. It gives other teams that normally might not make it an opportunity. Like, as I just, when I was introducing the the rundown here for this basketball segment, the New Orleans Pelicans would not be in the playoffs if they didn't get into the playing because they had to play in the 9-10 game and beat the Spurs and then beat the Clippers, who were the eighth seed at the end of the regular season. So it gives other teams, other markets, an opportunity for more basketball. So from that perspective, we, the fans, don't lose. And I'm not sure how the revenue works for the play-in specifically, because that's a little bit different. But... Mm -hmm. My understanding of the way the revenue works for the playoffs is that all of the money is just a pool. So every player is just paid from the pool as they get deeper into the playoffs. But like I said, I don't know how the playing works because for the teams that are in the playing, especially if you are the ninth or 10th seed, that is two games you have to play just to make it to the tournament. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I call me old school, call me old fashioned. I get like I I outlined all of that before you said it too. I get all of it. I get all of it. And there is an entertainment factor. And to be honest, I I probably so far have gotten to see more play-in games leading up to leading up to than I have actually been able to see playoff games thus far. 
Just mm-hmm. took a trip to visit some family last weekend, so I wasn't really I was out and about doing some stuff. Um, didn't see very many of the playoff games, but I I watched like all all but one of the play-in games, something like that, right? So is I, that believe me, believe you me, that part is not lost upon me. I just think it's a bit ludicrous that two thirds of the league is now now has a chance. To, I, and to be fair, I have the same problem with with the championship in England. You know, the fact that the top two teams go through and then three to six has to compete <laughs> for 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 that last for four promotion. Mm-hmm. And and then the, whoever wins that playoff gets a trophy. So essentially, the team that wins and gets a, the third spot is being rewarded with a trophy. It, 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 is, it is absolutely ludicrous to me, but. Again, another story for another day. Is it's just I, I think my main issue here is the fact that we now have essentially twenty teams, twenty out of thirty, two thirds of the league mm-hmm. potentially making. I, I just honestly feel that if if your record hasn't been good enough to make that final eight, that final cut, you mm-hmm. shouldn't be there. You shouldn't. You shouldn't have a chance to get in. But like, it, but as you said, it it does add a bit more excitement and whatnot, and because just it's just like. It's a one-off game, so it's not even guaranteed. It's not like a series, so it's like, yeah, the excitement factor is that you really have to show up on this night and play your best ball to be able to get in. Is the NBA version of March Madness? Yeah, it, exactly, exactly. And, and you, you know, you know what? That's a very good point because maybe that is kind of what spurred on, spurred it on in the first case, mm-hmm. or, or, or where the idea was born of. Um, but I don't, I don't know, Ken. I just, I, it, I haven't really warmed up to it in that sense yet. I, I think it's just too much. I think it's just too much. <laughs> 20 teams, 20 of the 30 teams. Like, nah, like, do what you need to do in the regular season mm. to get there. I, that's just me. Gotcha. No, I mean, that was, <laughs> like I said, like you said, we never talked about it. So it's good yeah. that, you know, we've, we've been able to ventilate <laughs> on, on this platform. So no. Yeah. Uh, what's happened so far in the playoffs? Who's had the best win team? Um, so I'll start by saying, as much as it pains me to say this because it's a Patrick Beverly team, I'll say the Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> that much you know. You yeah. know how I feel about Pat Bev already. Mm-hmm. It's a, don't, listen, guys, it's all respect for Pat Bev for what he does, actually does on the court. Um, man is one of the best defensive players in the league. One of. Um, but I just can't stand his personality. Mm-hmm. On-court personality, rather. Um, but it, I, I would say the Wolves. I would say the Timberwolves. Um, going in as a seventh seed, uh, they did what they had to do. Like, in, in that case, when you're on the road for those first two games, all, all you need to do is win one. You need to win one. And then, essentially, home court is yours after that. And they did that, right? And, and it was a good look as well, following that embarrassing playing win, like uh, the post-celebration, rather, where the only thing that was basically missing was a Larry O'Brien trophy. Um, and, and like cat bouncing back, having a good game. I think it was a good look for them, right? Um, now, obviously, they haven't wrapped up the series with that win. But like I said, being able to get that win on the road, and, and it, was, it was convincing enough because it was like, what, they won by about 12, 13 points, something like that. Um, I think they won by more than that, to be honest. The game won. No, it was well, yeah, 130 to 117. Okay, 13 points. I, I yeah, so 13. They scored a lot. Yeah, they scored exactly. And that's another thing. They, they put up 130 on, on the grid. So 
they, it was a statement win away from home in that series, so it could kind of shift shift uh, um, shift the tide in their favor, especially psychologically. So um, I would have to say that I would give them the best win so far. Okay. So after my first after the first game, I was I think I'm still going to give it to Utah to the Jazz. Okay. But what makes me a little reticent to give it to them is what happened in game two. Because they <laughs> gave up their best chance, in my opinion, to win this series by not mm. going home up to love. Luka Doncic has not yet played in these playoffs due to a calf strain he picked up in the regular season finale. But the expectation is he's going to be back sometime during this series. Now, mm-hmm. I want to stick a pin here a second because I was very annoyed to see that Luca picked up this injury in that in game 82. And the main mm. reason why I was annoyed that he picked up the injury in game 82 was that the only thing that the Mavericks had to play for in that game was if you win and the Warriors lose, then you are the third seed and the Warriors will be the fourth seed. Mm. It was obvious early in that game that the Warriors were not going to lose. Yeah. So, somebody on the bench needed to have a phone, a tablet, or something monitoring what was happening in San Francisco. So as to say, okay, the Warriors look like they're going to win this game. Luca, come. Come take a seat. There's nothing else for you here. It was not as if to say he was in the running for any of these individual awards. Yeah. Let him plant his butt on the bench and not strain his calf. But that is another thing for another time. Now, the fact is, though, they expect that he's going to be back sometime. They've announced that they expect he's going to play either in game three or game four mm-hmm. in this series. Now, the more wins that the Jazz could have gotten before he comes back, the better. Because their perimeter defense is so bad. So, so bad. Now, Rudy Gobert has been their defensive anchor, but he looks like a fish on a line whenever he has to step out. And they don't switch or cover their man competently. And that was obvious last night when Maxi Kleber, who... I saw a stat he was shooting even 19% or 29% from three since the mm. All-Star break. He's allowed to go eight for 11 on mostly uncontested three-pointers because the bigs, namely Gobert and Whiteside, anchored down in the paint and their chains are too short to reach the, the perimeter. When you allow Jalen Brunson, no Jalen Brunson, good player. He's, he's, but he's, he's not, but he's not an all star. Yeah, he's not an all star talent. He scores forty. He scores forty one points on you. I know that Luca is coming back. That shouldn't be concerned. But the silver lining is, as you said, when you spoke about um, Minnesota, the aim when you go on the road at the beginning of the playoffs is to just win one game. Just split the series, yeah. Steal home court and then take it back to the crib. And mm-hmm. when you look at what Utah has done against the Mavericks, they've won 11 straight in Utah. Mm-hmm. So getting the split 
it does put them in a much better position. However, if I was them, I would feel much more comfortable if we went home two love up as opposed to being one and one. Sure. Yeah, and as you outlined, given given the um the circumstances surrounding Dallas right now, they really should be, but I guess they had an off night mentally. That game I did not get to see actually. Yeah, I was game watching two. I was watching it alone last night. Mm. Uh, that game was on NBA TV. Um, Dallas and Utah. Well, Philly and Toronto was playing on TNT. Right, Philly right. And Toronto mm-hmm. was putting on NBA TV. <laughs> that series is so mismatched. <laughs> oh my dear. I was, tr- was trying to watch that and it just made no sense to me. I was falling asleep. Yeah, I was. It was. There was nothing in that. There was no excitement in that game to hold on to. And it wasn't even just one side. It was bo- it was just terrible shooting, yes. terrible decision making. It was it was like JV basketball, though. Yes. Ball getting turned over every two plays, men shooting and airballing. I was like, what am I really looking at here? Yeah, exactly. I I really felt like I should have connected my tablet to the TV and watched that game on the TV and forget about that Philly game. It was really really bad. It was mm-hmm. really bad. Anyhow, for those who've been with us during the NFL season, and you, I mean, you've been seeing this particular format before, you know what comes next. So, AJ, who had the worst loss? I want to say the Nuggets. Um, it is the Nuggets to me. Is is your is your home, yeah your home team? Why? Um, and more so because I think, I mean. You have to. We have to factor in the fact, the, the yeah, the, the fact that fact that they are missing two of their key players in Michael Porter and and Jamal Murray, right? Yes. But the kind of loss we came on, and then we were talking, we were speaking in one of the chats earlier about what happened in Game Two between um, Gary Payton the second and 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 Joker, right? The Nuggets feel like they're unraveling. And that, that's what, and, and, and so we're talking about game one. They, they lost game one, 123 to 107, right? Mm-hmm. And it just felt like that was the beginning of the end of their postseason. It just feels that way. It, it, it felt like it was a demoralizing loss. And then come game two and then the, the Warriors dropped, Warriors dropped 70 points on them in like less than 20 minutes or something like that was, was what it was. Yep. Yeah, I mean, so these guys just don't feel like playing any defense and, and, and Joker falling out because, as I, as I was saying in the chat, I mean, everyone knows he's a hothead, right? So you just need to get under his skin just a little bit. I don't care what y'all say. I know that Peter knew what he was doing. That's, I tell you, that psychological warfare taught to him, but his dad is one of the greatest. Well, you feel it, You feel like this man father don't know how to get in man head? Um, but I digress. Yeah, it, it, the, the, the Nuggets loss felt more than, than just like a, a, a loss to... And, and granted, they are playing the Warriors, but they, it's still, I, I, let me put it this way. I still do have the Warriors to go through to the Western Conference Finals, right? In my bracket, I have them to go through there. So it's not that I expected the Nuggets to win, but the fashion in which it, it happened in game one and then how it, it, it spiraled downwards into game two, that to me was the worst loss. After, well, after game one, the Nuggets, um, the 107-123 loss. Uh, it was on the road, but still, it 
it, it, it just feels ominous at like the beginning of the end, like there's no coming back from it. I, I'd, I'd have to say the Nuggets had the worst loss. Yeah, I, I, I can see where you're coming from. No, I mean, the Nuggets are playing against the Warriors. The Warriors, the Warriors to me, that game, two performances that they put down, hands down is the best performance we've seen in the playoffs so far. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when when you have six man in the playoffs, Steph Curry dropping 34 points in less in about 20 minutes of game time, and Jordan Poole, who I believe should have been on that ballot for most improved player of the year. Mm-hmm. He's dropping 29 after dropping 30 in the previous game. The Warriors are a problem. The Warriors yeah. are a problem. And to see, you know, like, they almost had a fight on the bench between DeMarcus Cousins and Will Barton. That I didn't okay. even know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They almost, had, they almost had a fight because um, I don't, they don't, they have not said what happened in the huddle. Mm-hmm. However, in the huddle, Barton was sitting, which means he was going back on the floor. Boogie was standing, so he was not going on the floor. Somebody said something, Boogie said something, then um, Barton got up and got on Boogie, and yeah, it was a little back and forth. But yeah, it, it, it wasn't a good look. It wasn't a good look. That's true. Now, my pick for the worst loss, hands down, is the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm. Memphis did not have the injury concerns that Dallas had coming into this game. And they're playing against a Minnesota team that had to work hard just to make it into the playoffs. And they're playing with not known for his, I just most delicate way I could put it, not known for his toughness, Carl Anthony Towns. <laughs> Second year player, Anthony Edwards. And junkyard dog Patrick Beverly. Memphis should have enough to take care of Minnesota. But when you look at their season series, the regular season series, the teams split 2 2 with the home team winning every game. No, mm. on the surface, you may say ah, it's just one game, but when you have not beaten Minnesota in Minnesota all season long, and know you have to go there and win one game, this feels like a problem. It feels like a definite... When I can give Dallas a pass on the worst loss because they didn't have their best player, yeah. Memphis is coming fully stocked. The game that I went to, to Ballerina to watch when Memphis played against... Um, the Nuggets here. Jamarant didn't play. That's this was two games before the end of the regular season. Jamarant didn't play. Um, somebody else didn't play. Oh, Jaron Jackson Jr. He didn't play. It was Desmond Bean, Dylan Brooks. Those were their main offensive weapons in that game, and they got mm-hmm. handedly by the Nuggets. You gotta be able to do better. You were resting men. Men was men had a feet put up. And sipping drinks with umbrellas, you should be able to give a better showing when you take the cl- when you take the floor and you you just didn't do it. So no, yeah, they, they get the the biggest L for the week. 
Prata, mm -hmm. Now, fair point. Usually, when we when we did this for the NFL season, we would talk about who had like a moral victory. This is the playoffs. Those things don't exist. So, <laughs> Skipping straight to the other one. Straight to the end. <laughs> the least inspiring win. Who should feel most concerned about the win they got this this weekend? Um, I feel least concerned. Um, so most concerned, not least concerned. Most concerned. Yeah. About okay. So I. Right, there's something I was looking for here, right? There we go. Yeah, so it dawned on me while you were just um, finishing up your the last part of your segment, of the last segment, but that um, so far we've been all in the Western Conference. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to switch it out. I'm going to go east now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to switch it out to the east. And <laughs> for this question, there seems like there's one particular, like, right answer, right? Like, that, it, it should be the most obvious answer, but I, and I know you know what I mean, but I'm not going to say that. Okay. You know what I will say? Who is, is the least inspiring win to me? The Philadelphia 76ers. Interesting. Yeah. And I, and I will tell you why. The main reason is, like, beating the Raptors, like, and even in the fashion that they're beating the Raptors, it's not a surprise. Like, did anyone really expect the Raptors to upset them? No. The Raptors seem to have reached their ceiling by even getting into the playoffs. For this season, that is, right? Yes. The Sixers went all in to get James Harden because they want to contend for a championship. Ken, James Harden does not look like the same James Harden. His explosiveness is not there as it was. And this is since he came back from that, um, from the last injury. It was with the Nets before, yeah, right, right when, uh, around the time he was traded or whatnot. Mm -hmm. He does not look, at, let me see, let me, let me. So in the first game, right? Harden was six of 17 from the field. And you know, you know, like going to the charity stripe is where he would usually subsidize the remainder of his points. He only made seven trips there and, 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 and hit six. Mahad, so it was like 22 points, um, five boards, 14 assists. No, you can still say he's, he's you know, he, he's still dishing it out, uh, getting others involved. But that's not what you brought James Harden in there for, though. James Harden can't be that he can't be scoring just around 22 points. And then because I, I need to get, hold on, I need to find, I need to find game two as well. I know we're talking about the one game, but that that was just a precursor to what happened in game two. For in 41 minutes, James Harden had nine nine attempts, nine shots, scored three of them. Um uh, again, eight trips to, to the free throw line, scored seven, 14 points. No, the fact of the matter is everything looks good from, from the onset. Like on a, from a macro perspective, they're still getting this job done. They're beating the, the, the Raptors into submission, right? Yep. Everything looks fine and dandy. But you didn't get James Harden to just get past the first round. You didn't. Correct. And I'm not convinced that without James Harden that they're going to make the deep run that they expect. So I'm, 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 as much as, as it seems like all is well in, in Sixer land, with them bringing in Harden, it seems like, oh, yeah, this, this duo, James Harden doesn't look the same. And beating the Raptors is not a, a great achievement in my book. I, I, I'm, not in, I'm not fully convinced. I'm not fully convinced by this team and what they're doing right now. 
So I, 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 the least inspiring win so far. And mind you, I know I mentioned the second game, but this is from the first game, actually. This is just from the first game. Like, as I said, that just trickled into the second game. But for, if we're speaking of the first game only, I can still, my answer is still the same. It's the Sixers. So the one, the one thought that came to me when you talked about James Harden and the Sixers, um, Charles Barkley has been mm. saying, has been making the same point that you started with. They did mm-hmm. not, the Sixers did not get James Harden to get to the second round of the playoffs. They got him to win the NBA championship. Yeah, yeah. But at least to be contending for the NBA championship, but making at least the Eastern Conference Finals. The second thought that popped in my head was something that Jalen Rose said, and I wish I thought of it first, but he beat me to it. Mm-hmm. He said that when you look at, Jen, at James Harden's shooting numbers every night, they look like concert dates. 3-9-6-14-4-17. So, <laughs> yes. That's hilarious. It, it, that is hilarious. I, I thought of it first. But no, yeah, that, that was one I, I am reporting somebody else said before I got to it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love it too. Yeah. No, I said it in the chats and I'll say it again here. Boston shouldn't be thumping their chest about who that game went on Sunday at <coughs> all. At the half, Kevin Durant was two for 10 and had four turnovers. And the scores were tied. Mm-hmm. They needed a defensive breakdown to get the go ahead score at the horn. And they're playing at home these first two games. Boston is supposed to be a defensive juggernaut. After all, their guard just got defensive player of the year. Although, depending on who you talk to, maybe he should not have. But Brooklyn, again, as a road team, they just need one game. They steal one game and then... Boston has to go to Brooklyn and win one. And when that happens, that is a problem. The Nets, we know the Nets are not a good defensive team. But the Boston Mm -hmm. Celtics were, I don't remember where they finished, but I'm pretty sure they were top five in total defense in in this this past regular season. And they have to do a better job containing Kyrie Irving. Kyrie... I don't remember exactly how many he scored, but it was like 39 points. I think he had 39. Yeah. He scored 39, 39 points in that game while Kevin Durant went 9 for 24. Kevin Durant is not going to go 9 for 24 every night. Kevin Durant is not going to be missing wide open shots. I mean, Pretty much every shot he takes is wide open unless you can jump out the building because of the height that he releases the ball from, nobody can really get up there. So you expect that Durant is going to be better as this series progresses. So what, what are we doing, Boston? Like, How can you feel comfortable knowing that you literally had to win the game at the horn against a team that if your defense plays the way it does, and then you have Jalen Brown, you have Jason Tatum, you should be stomping these men 
through the floor. This should be concerned. This should be concerned. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I knew that that is like that is like the quintessential answer because that has been on the tongues of many since since that game concluded, right? And I, I don't think you're incorrect. I don't think you're incorrect. It is. I just needed to to shed light on the Sixers. The the reason why I didn't want to see the Celtics though is because um, in watching the game itself, right? Because you mentioned how poorly Katie shot the ball that night. Uh, you know that's my guy. I'll be fair. A lot of that was down to the, the Celtics defense. Like they were playing him a, a really a really physical and hard game, so they were getting him off off of his momentum. He said, "Well, not allowing him to get any." Essentially, he wasn't. He wasn't. I, it, he really was not getting that many free shots. Um, no, like even even getting getting into the lane, like it was like two or three on him most times. So I guess the fact that they were doubling him and getting him out of the game was what allowed Kyrie to have such a game. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, they, what they did was they, they eventually won the game at home. And, and I, while you're correct, it wasn't the most convincing. This, this series was never going to be one of those series where one team was going to blow the other. It was always going to be close and come down to like the final possession. And, and I remember I mentioned in the group that, I, and this, this is where I, I, I would kind of agree with you, right? Because I said that the Nets' last possession, and I actually meant their offensive possession, it was a wasted possession. It was terrible. It was, te it was terrible. You could, you could, but it was, it was also good defense from the Celtics, right? Yeah. But, but, but Kyrie had no idea what to do. And then all of a no sudden, the clock was winding. Uh, pardon? There was no execution whatsoever. You could none. None. What they none. Were to accomplish. I don't think there was a plan, Ken. It was, it was Kyrie with the ball in his hands trying to make a play. The defense was starting, like, he had two on him. He was being double, and then all of a sudden, you, you know what the players from there. If Kyrie can't get through, he's looking for KD. And then by that time, KD had to throw up a shot, and then, you know, the rest is history. Mm -hmm. I, 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 if the Celtics had lost the game, I, I won't feel sorry for them because, like, we know what the Nets can be offensively. But the fact that they want it, I have to give them credit, which is why I didn't want to say them. And I, again, I don't want to agree with, with every single. I, I, I figured you would say that because it, it, it is a very good that, answer. I've been saying that all along since. You have, you have, you have. Yeah, and, and it, it is a very good answer. It's a, it's a very, it's a very astute answer. But I just needed to bring attention to these Sixers because I'm, I'm yet to be convinced. Yeah, the Sixers do have their problems. I mean, <laughs> my, my only thing is where the Celtics are concerned. The Celtics know that the Nets are a two-man operation. The mm -hmm. Nets have less depth than this glass table I'm sitting in front of. So when you know that you have to control Kevin Durant, you have to control Kyrie, and they allow Kyrie to score 39 points. We are just waiting for KD to, to wake up tomorrow and say, but you know who I am. I'm Kevin Durant, and then start making shots again. So they have to do. They have to do more. They have to do better. I don't believe okay. that Philadelphia has enough to get to the to get to the NBA champ, the NBA finals for sure. Yeah. Um, when I'm looking at the bracket, I don't see them beating Miami. Miami. I don't. I have them. I have them going out to Miami the next one. Yeah, I have Miami going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Against, yeah, I actually was picking Brooklyn 
to get there. But I mean, when Boston is playing defense at the way that they are, I can't be I can't be solid on either of those two teams getting past Milwaukee in the next round. Yeah. I I'm accustomed to saying that Bud is the worst coach in the playoffs. But <laughs> Steve Nash probably has him beat this year. I I don't even know that if Steve and that, that's another issue, right? I is Steve Nash really the coach or is he just someone filling in or someone in who has the title rather? What 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 did Nash really I, this is more rhetorical, I'm sorry, but I just have a problem with I don't think that this team is coached. I think that this team just it just exactly. operates on the back of uh, of the offensive talents of KD and Kyrie. There was no kind of adjustment made in that game one, like whatsoever from a coaching perspective. Correct. None. It was all just, all right, well, eventually KD going to catch fire, so we just need to let him do his thing. Kyrie already on, on, on so we just we need to just hope that two of them catch a fire at the same time. But what, what coaching-wise, like what was really done, Ken? What? That's what I expect from people who support Tottenham, no? That kind of sense. Wastes. <laughs> I don't like this man because of that. You know? Wow, I did not see that one coming. Yeah, I know you didn't. No, you know, cats on the back. Yeah, I mean, there's lots more basketball to come. So we will definitely spend more time discussing what's happening in these playoffs. I know next week we are supposed to be getting ready for the draft mm -hmm. because the draft is a week away. As you're watching this on Wednesday, it's eight days away before the Jacksonville Jaguars are on the clock. So we'll be getting you guys ready for the draft next week, mm -hmm. and we'll probably do a draft recap the week after. But, of course, we'll keep you posted as what's happening in the basketball. At this point, as we are finishing this recording now, um, the Miami Heat, they're up to love on the Atlanta Hawks. No big surprise there. Memphis is currently leading 23 by 23 points, 77 to 54 over Minnesota, and they're halfway through the third quarter. So we'll see how that game ends up. But as always, we thank you for being here with us and sharing your time with us. We will see you guys next week. So for the Green Beach Podcast, as always, again, that is AJ. He is the Green. I am Ken. I am the Beige. And we will see you next time.